Good morning. Uh, we'd like to extend a, a welcome to all of the visitors who are with us. If you're um, a prospective student or a parent, will you stand so we can please greet you? Thank you. Uh, thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, we don't all have the opportunity to individually greet you, uh, but we want you to know as a community, we are so glad that you're here. Um, so I've uh, experienced a bit of a, an existential quandary over the last couple of months. Um, I've been driving a car for some 33 years, and in the last like 32 years, I can probably count the number of animals that I've injured in one way or another on one hand. Right, so moths, large um, flying butterflies, things like that. Uh, but I don't recall ever hitting like real animals. Um, the last two months, it began slow and sort of innocuous. Um, the, the squirrel that would run out in the middle of the road and, and would always like escape in the past. Um, so it started with a squirrel and then it was a, a chipmunk and I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and sure enough, they're on the road. And then a bird. I'm like, how does a person hit a bird? Or better, how does a bird hit a car? <laughs> and you may say, well, you live on a mountain, right? And there's a lot of wildlife on the mountain. Therefore, what's happening is wholly and utterly natural. And I will say, perhaps. Um, and then I'll tell you what continues to happen. It's getting more gruesome now. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I'm driving down the road, and we have cardinals all over the mountain, and they're so lovely and beautiful. And this cardinal, like bright red, beautiful crimson cardinal, flies right in front of the car. And I'm thinking, no. And I look in the rearview mirror, and there's a poof of red feathers. <laughs> and I'm so convinced that had I gone back, it would have been like a, a little carcass with all the feathers scattered around it. And then just the other day, I did like a double tire thump on a squirrel. So the Lord and I have been having conversation about this um, because the circumstances are causing me to wonder. Like if I might anthropomorphize for just a moment, I, I picture like the animal kingdom on the mountain calling me like the angel of death. <laughs> and, and my vehicle, like they have some weird communication system by which they're letting all of their animal brethren know that the death machine has left the driveway and that sort of thing. Um, so I kind of jest a little bit, but it is a bit disconcerting. Um, the circumstances really, truly, I have talked to the Lord about this. Um, as we continue in our um, uh, series of encountering Jesus in the Old Testament, um, this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 15. It's one of the coolest and one of the most important passages um, in the scriptures. Um, Abram is in a true quandary. Um, not amusing like mine, but an actual quandary. Not about losing his faith, but about understanding how his circumstances are consistent with God's promises. And what that boils down to very simply is a question of trust. How can he trust God? Um, so before we get into Genesis 15, we want to move back and just set it in context a little bit, right? We started with Adam and Eve, and we looked at the fall um, of Adam and Eve, and we look at God coming in judgment in the garden, um, and he, uh, they expect, Adam and Eve fully expect death 
that's uh, going to come to them. They expect to die, but instead they're given mercy and grace. And um, God, in his curse, gives them a great blessing that one day from the seed of the woman, there will be a man who will come. He will conquer the serpent. Um, He will be the one to conquer death uh, and sin. And we talk about that as uh, Jesus, the Messiah. And then we move further. We looked at Cain and Abel, how Cain slew his brother Abel. And um, Adam and Eve have another son, Cain and Seth. And it creates these two lines, the line of the woman and the line of the serpent. And they cruise through and you you see um, godlessness and you see uh, God uh, honoring lives. But then you see really the deep effect of sin and how uh, when left um, really to its devices, um, sin will uh, corrupt and destroy everything. And all of humanity is brought down to one faithful person, Noah. And we see God saving Noah and his family. And then we see with Noah's sons, the lines, the line of the woman and the line of the serpent continue in Shem, the Semites, and in Ham. And we come now to Abram. And Abram has already encountered God. God has appeared to him and has called him, Abram, leave your land and go to the land that I'm going to show you and I will bless you. I will give you children and descendants and land and I will make your people a people who will bless the entire world. So that is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 15. And it reads, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And the after this, what has happened is Abram is just returning from battle. He and 300 men have gone and they've done battle with these four kings who have captured his cousin Lot. So he goes and he does battle. Um, and as he does battle, scripture tells us they're doing battle in the, in the Valley of Sidim. And the Valley of Sidim is filled with tar pits. And there are men during the battle who are literally falling in and dying in these tar pits. Well, scripture tells us that after Um, They've successfully rescued Lot, and after they've defeated the kings, um, Abram receives this odd blessing from this priest of God, Melchizedek, that confirms that he is still God's chosen, and he is blessed and favored by God. And then the king of Sodom offers him a whole bunch of treasure. He says, give me the people, but you keep all of the treasure. And Abram says, I've sworn by my God that I will take nothing from you, because I want there to be no question about who it is that's blessing me. I want it to be clear that it's the Lord who is blessing me. So after this, that's the main this, but then there's a bigger this too. And the bigger this is this, that Abram still doesn't have a child. He doesn't have descendants. He doesn't have a land. The promises that God has made um, haven't come true. And Abram's been doing battle. He's watching people die. And he's come out of a battle where he could have died. And it would make sense that he would wonder, Lord, how can I trust? And then we're told that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And the Lord says to Abram, he says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, since the fall, fear is the right response of man before a holy God. But but God says to Abram this, he says, don't be afraid and don't be afraid. And what he means is this, don't be afraid of my presence, don't be afraid that I'm here with you, and don't be afraid of your circumstances. Don't be afraid that you're going to die, don't be afraid that you're surviving simply by fortune or good luck. He says, I am your shield, I'm the one that is protecting you, and I, Abraham, I am your great reward. I am the treasure 
that far greater exceeds anything that the king of Sodom could have offered you or anything that this world could offer you. And as we move through this text, something that I'd like to ask you to do, um, I'd like to ask you to sort of hold your faith before you. Sort of hold your trust before you and use Abraham's trust and faith as a mirror for yours. And I'll ask you this as we start, and I ask myself this, do you believe what God had just said to Abram? Do you believe that God is your shield? Do you believe that he's your protector? That only by his sustaining power did you wake up this morning to see a new day? Is God your shield? Do you trust that? And do you believe that he is your very great reward? Do you believe that what God offers, what God extends to you is greater than anything that this world could offer? Because at the heart of what God is offering Abram here is really, it's not the children or the descendants or the land, but he's offering himself in immediate, intimate presence. Abram, I am your great reward. But Abram is super honest with God. He says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will have to be my heir. He doesn't understand how his experience is consistent with what God has promised. He said, look, Lord, you promised me kids, you promised me grandkids, you promised me a land for them and that they would be a blessing to others. And none of that's happened and now you're appearing to me again and telling me that you're my protector and that you're my great reward. Now, isn't this what prayer should look like? Isn't this what talking to God should actually be like? It's not unbelief. It's instead an honest struggle and wrestling with faith. It's humble and it's seeking. Abram is open about his hurt, his sadness, that God's promised blessing looks like it's not going to happen. Or, if it does, it's going to come in a way that is not what he thought God promised. It's going to have to go through a servant in his home, a Syrian servant from Damascus, who's eventually going to be his heir because he doesn't have children. But God answers him. The word of the Lord again came to him. And God says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then God takes him outside and he says, look up in the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. The Lord says to Abram, I understand. I understand your fear, but rest assured, I will give you a child of your own flesh and of your own blood. And then the Lord takes Abram outside. And how beautiful is this? The creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who placed the stars in the sky, takes Abram outside and shows him the stars. He says, count them. Count them if you can. I'm the one who put them there. Those are what your descendants are going to be like. So shall your offspring be. And then scripture gives us this beautiful, concise, understated, powerful verse. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believes God not because his circumstances change, but because he encounters the living God and he trusts him. And he trusts him because he's God. In some ways, it's incredibly simple. Abram is able to see with true perspective. 
He's able to see that while God's plan was confusing to him, it in no way made God less trustworthy. And that's something we want to hear and we want to hold on to. While God's plan may be confusing to us, it in no way makes God less trustworthy. This is the first time in the Bible that faith is linked to righteousness. And in the same way that Abram wouldn't accept the treasure from King Sodom, right? He wanted to be very, very clear who was blessing him and where his treasure came from. God's going to do something very similar with the children. He's going to wait and wait and wait and wait until Abraham's 99 years old, until it's a joke that he and his wife could have children. Then he's going to give him a child so that there was no question who gave him and who gave Sarah the child. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And the Lord gives Abram more detail about the fulfillment of his promise. He says, look, Abram, I led you out of your home. I led you out of one land so that I might lead you into another land for your descendants. I brought you out of one place that I might bring you into another. And this promise that he gives, this promise of land is even more removed. It's more future than the promise of children because it will come far after. And Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And when you hear that, how can I know? Don't hear, don't hear a man who doesn't believe. Hear an honest man who's wrestling with his finite understanding, struggling with his faith. Lord, give me a sign. How can I actually know? And the Lord says to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. All right, so here's what's playing out, right? God gives Abram a command. He says, get a cow, a goat, a ram, a couple of birds. And notice, he doesn't tell Abram what to do with them. But Abram knows exactly what to do with them because Abram knows exactly what to expect. He takes the animals, and picture this, right? Um, this is sort of like me hitting the, the cardinal, but he cuts a cow in half. He cuts a ram in half. He cuts these animals in half. He cuts the goat in half. And then he arranges them. He spreads them apart so that you have one half of the cow here, one half here. The goat, half, half. The ram. And then at the top you have the two birds. And you can imagine the amount of blood that is there in the middle. And you've created literally a corridor of breath of blood and death. And here's what was happening. And here's what Abram expected. Abram knew that God was making a covenant with him. This is a covenant-cutting ceremony. And what would happen is this. This was fairly common in the ancient Near East. And usually what would happen is two people would walk through that. And it would be a king and a vassal. So like think, think a king who owns the land and a farmer, a farmer who's farming on the land. And they would make a covenant together that they were going to support, um, encourage, the king was going to protect the farmer would be uh, loyal to the king. And what they would do is the two of them would walk through, invoking a curse upon themselves, saying, if I'm unfaithful to you, then what, it, what happened to these animals will be incumbent to happen upon me. I'll sacrifice my, I'll give my life, right? So oftentimes it was the king and the vassal. Sometimes it was just the vassal, sometimes just the farmer, 
It was never, ever just the king. That's not how it worked. So Abram knows what's going to take place. Either he's walking through by himself or he and God are somehow going to walk through. Birds of prey come down on the carcasses, but Abram drives them away. And scripture says that as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And God comes. God comes and the dread falls over Abraham and he falls into a deep sleep. And God reveals in detail what is going to happen to his descendants. And this is what a sweet grace. Think of this. He's told him you're going to have family and descendants and heirs, but now God's going to tell him exactly what's going to happen to his descendants, exactly how they're going to inherit the land that he's going to give them. And God says, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They're going to be enslaved and mistreated there. But know this, Abram, I will punish the people that they serve as slaves. Afterwards, they will come out with great possession. He tells them, your descendants will then come back here to this land, and I will give it to them. As for you, you're going to die. You're never going to see any of this, but you can know that it's going to happen. And here is how you can know. Here's how you can trust me. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. This is the living God. This is the theophanic presence of God himself. He comes down and manifests in a flaming torch and a fire pot, fire and smoke, just like he did in the Garden of Eden when he came in the wind of the storm, just like he did when he appeared to, Mo to Moses in the burning bush, just like he did at Sinai in the fire and the storm, just as he did as he was leading the Israelites in the cloud and in the fire. And here he is, God, in his very presence comes. And God walks through the animals. God invoking a curse upon himself, saying to Abram, Abram, you can trust me because I swear on my own life as the living God that I will be faithful to my promises. Abram could trust God implicitly because God swore on himself. And Abram trusted the Lord. He believed and it plays out in every element and every aspect of his life. We're going to look at Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and Isaac next week. Um, but what I'd like us to do is come back to our faith and our trust. And maybe hold that mirror up just a little bit. Do you trust like Abram trusted? Better, maybe even better, is do you think you can? Can you trust like Abram trusted? We may find ourselves in a place where we look around us at our lives, at our friends' lives, at injustice and evil, and struggle to understand how these things could be consistent with God's plans and his promises. And we know, I can say this, and I think you'll, you'll hear the truth in it, that our inability to understand God's plans reveals our finiteness, not God's faithlessness. Right? That makes sense. That just because we can't understand it, it doesn't reflect or reveal God as being faithless, but it reveals more our finite ability to understand. But then we're still sitting with the question of trust. How can we trust? Here's how we can trust. 
We know that God has made promises, that he's promised to hold us in the palm of his hand, that he's promised that he will complete all of the good works that he begins in us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that life really isn't a big crapshoot, but that he is our protector, our sustainer, that he orders our days, our moments. God appeared to Abram a long time ago, but when he did, when God walked through those animals, he was pointing to a greater covenant. Now hear this, look how beautiful this is. God makes a covenant with Abram where he swears on himself that he will be faithful, but it pointed to a covenant that was coming a couple thousand years down the road. Jesus, instead of walking through animals, came and walked amongst us. Instead of promising that he would be cursed and cut apart if he was unfaithful, he instead took the curse of the ones that he walked amongst us because he is faithful. And the blood of the animals on the ground would be replaced by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Jesus called this the new covenant in his blood. And it's how and it's why we trust. Because by his blood, by his faithfulness, he conquered sin. He conquered death. He was the seed that God talked about in the garden with Adam and Eve. He was the one who would crush the serpent's head. Now, now it gets super cool, right? God made promises to Abram, and they may feel like they were a long time ago. He promised him what? Descendants. Children, descendants, and land. He told him how it was going to come about through Israel. But then Paul drops this massive bomb on us in Galatians 3. And it's so beautiful. You want to know how you're connected to this story? You want to know how we play a part in this? Because of what Paul says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations would be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The descendants that God promised Abraham. It's us. We're his children. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are the children of Abraham who believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Our faith in Jesus Christ credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ to us. Is Jesus our protector? Absolutely. Is he our great reward? Absolutely. But as Abram was given a new name, Abraham, we too are given a new name. Sons and daughters. We get to call God our father because of Jesus' faithfulness. So, can you trust? You can. Why can you trust? Because of one very simple fact. Because God is and always has been faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious, faithful God, thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for redeeming us and calling us your own. Forgive us, Father, when we attribute uh, faithlessness to you simply because we can't see your plans. Um, Father, um, help us uh, to see how beautiful the unfolding of your salvation and history is and that we actually stand as children of Abraham, children of faith, but that it all rests on your faithfulness through your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
please be with us by your spirit and through your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.